Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Name Free Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million, and this is a podcast where we discuss feminist issues in music and pop culture, all while empowering fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. Welcome to 2023, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another year of pop culture nonsense. So, before we get into today's episode, we want to have a little chat about what we're doing in the year of 2023. So over the past two plus years of this podcast, we obviously have built up a lot of knowledge about feminist theory, just general issues in pop culture. We've learned a lot about pop stars of the past, different issues, talking about racism, sexism, homophobia, all of the isms. And we felt like for the new year, we wanted to apply these learnings to current topics. And part of this is also that previously we were doing bi-weekly episodes that were very research heavy and now we are doing weekly episodes, which is a nice lovely gift for you all. We felt like it was necessary to have conversations that are more topical and a lot of this was kind of spurred by our end of year episode mm-hmm. and especially the Amber Heard episode we did where we saw a lot of conversation going on and not all of it was good and not all of it was critical thinking and not all of it was media media literacy and so we felt like it was really important to use the skill set that we've gained throughout this podcast and that you guys have learned with us and apply it to more current topics so that we can think critically and discuss what is going on and try and learn from these things as they're happening and you know it might be one of those situations where like you suddenly learn about like the Megan Thee Stallion Tory Lanez case and you hear somebody say something stupid and you can actually correct them and educate them because you know what the facts are. So that's our hopes and goals and dreams with this new format that we are doing. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was very glaring to us, especially in doing all the research that we did and speaking with Asia for the Amber Heard episode of like how little media literacy is going on in the internet recently. And there's been a lot of discourse on like journalism Twitter about the lack of media literacy happening, especially with like how many pop culture commentators there are on TikTok who just are people who like pop culture and don't take the time to learn anything about journalistic integrity, which is fucking exhausting. And so a lot of people are getting false narratives, even from people who think that they're feminists, think that they're more left leaning and they don't even realize that their lack of any journalistic... (laughs) Education is making them actually kind of speak from misogynistic or like more right wing heavy uh, viewpoints, which like it's so frustrating because I don't want to be like, oh, like you need education to be able to talk about this stuff. Like you need to have gone to get a PhD in journalism or whatever to like have an actual conversation about it. But I think when people are just dramatically reading from TMZ and not knowing that if you drop the allegedly or you drop the 
you drop the like specific journalistic like language that is used in these articles all of a sudden you're reporting false information and causing kind of like a snowball effect of misinformation on the internet. And so our goal with this is to like, like Jenna said, take what everything that we've learned over the past two plus years, all of the education that like we've been learning, all the learning we've been doing together and kind of talk about more recent things to, I don't know, just help ourselves and help each other really understand what the fuck is going on. Because there's so much noise online recently and it's starting to get be jarring, I think. So with all that being said, let's get into our first segment, which is what is your favorite pop culture thing on the Internet this week? I am thoroughly obsessed with Noah Schnapp coming out of the closet with a meme because that is like the most... Is he even Gen Z? Like, I don't even know. But that's like the most like iPad baby Isn't thing. Is he 18? Like, I'm just going to call him an iPad baby. That's the most iPad baby thing an iPad baby can oh do. <laughs> <laughs> and I just was like, wow, that was so easy and so funny. And just like, he is just such an interesting celebrity because like his mom gives him an allowance from like the money he's made and he like goes to UPenn or like... <laughs> Like, I literally saw a TikTok like like, a month ago of like him just being interviewed by one of those like teens with a microphone on a college campus. (laughs) I did too. And he was like, I saw one where he was like, for $20, can you answer five history questions? And he was like, oh, 20 bucks. And I think he missed the last one. So I think he didn't get it. No, I think he got four out of five. He didn't get all of them or something like that. I don't remember. Yeah, I just remember he was like really excited about like $20. And I was like, baby, you're on a Netflix show. Yeah, no, he was born in 2004. He's 18 years old. Oh, my God. Insane. What a baby. <laughs> Insane. But he also just like makes funny moment. TikToks with his sister and like does all this stuff. So it just felt very like him and like <laughs> internet kid to do that. And I was like. This is incredible. Snaps to you. <laughs> like, Snaps good for job. Snap. <laughs> yeah, so that was an iconic internet moment. And so my other favorite thing that I witnessed on the internet this week is that Diane Warwick is having a documentary come out about herself. And there is this like iconic moment where Snoop Dogg revealed that in the 1990s, Diane Warwick hosted an intervention at 7 a.m. sharp for Snoop Dogg and like his rapper pals to discuss their misogynistic lyrics, which like Dion Warwick for name three songs, am I right? Right. <laughs> but Snoop <laughs> Snoop Dogg admitted that he was so intimidated by Dion that <laughs> all of the rappers were in her driveway by 6:52 a.m. sharp. Like they were not going to be like, <laughs> they were going to be there on time early. Like, they were not going to disrespect that woman any more than they already did with their lyricism. My other favorite part about this is that Dionne Warwick demanded that they call her a bitch to her face, a lyric they often use in their songs to describe women, and says these kids are expressing themselves, which they're entitled to do. However, there's a way to do it. Wow. An icon and a legend. (laughs) She was doing this in the 90s. Bless her. Wow. I can't believe that she wants to be on our podcast. (laughs) 
Wow, I love that. Jenna, what were some of your favorite moments that you witnessed online this week? Both of mine are K-pop. Big surprise. The first one is a living... (laughs) The first one is truly also a very iconic moment. This was... I don't even know what... This was at some end of year, like, award show type situation where a lot of K-pop idols do, like, special covers, those types of things. And so there's a song that was really popular this Mm -hmm. year. It's by a new girl group called La Seraphim. The song is called Anti-Fragile. And there's this 32-year-old man who is buff ripped idol man performing this choreo for anti-fragile but like going full out and has like a furry fuzzy hat on and like a crop top and jeans and you can see this it's wild it is incredible it is amazing it is beautiful and my favorite thing is that our friends and journalist lucy ford tweeted the cultural importance of a beefcake who is also a baby girl cannot be overstated i i never knew i needed this in my life I loved when you sent me that on Twitter and I was like, I don't know what I'm feeling, (laughs) but I love it. Oh, it is so wild. It's just like this guy's been an idol for like 10 years or 10 plus years already. He's done his military service. And then like once idols reach a certain age, they just decide to become as ripped as possible. So he does a lot of like modeling on like men's health (laughs) magazine and like GQ, like stuff like that. So to see him Mm -hmm. just like going all out and doing this very like feminine, it's like feminine, but strong choreo is just chef's kiss amazing incredible beautiful we need more of this in our lives (laughs) my other favorite thing this week on the internet was that i found out that there is a k-pop group that they debuted on december 1st called sheed and it's four members between the ages of 26 to 30 this is like unheard of in k-pop world all all k-pop groups like they debut them as teenagers like, so the fact that these dudes have, like, they've apparently they've been, like, in the K-pop industry before. They did, like, different audition shows. Some of them were, like, backup dancers. They've done their military service. And now they're between the ages of 26 to 30 debuting as a K-pop group. I think it's fascinating because we're just so used to seeing idols be so young. And, like, like BTS are this age. Like, they're adults now. But to debut at this age, I'm just very curious mm-hmm. to see how this goes. Because even historically, if we look at Western boy bands, they were all quite young when they debuted you like late teens or early 20s so i'm just wondering how it's going to go over being like an adult k-pop group can't believe the k-pop industry said turning 30 is a myth (laughs) (laughs) wow that's really that's really cool sarah do you feel like you would be interested in like seeing an adult boy band like someone who is of your age yeah i think that's so cool and like exciting because I feel like the whole discussion that we had with Hannah when we did our episode about ter- like these women turning 30 and like the renaissance of 30 and even just like the comment that Adele made about how like there needs to be music for people our age. Like I feel like it would be so fun to have a quintessential boy band, but like they're singing about stuff that like I feel relates to me more than like teen me. Yeah, I hear you on that. Because like... Even, like, listening back to, like, One Direction and stuff like that, like, Change Your Ticket by One Direction is, like, one of my favorite songs by them. But I'm like, that's so fucking toxic. <laughs> like, teen me would have been like, oh, wow, this is, like, so hot and sexy. But, like, 30-year-old me is like, that's, that's like, maybe toxic behavior. <laughs> Oh my god. I want a boyfriend. I want a boy I want a boy band who sings about like realistic boyfriend fantasies. (laughs) (laughs) I want a boy band who sings about fifty shades of grey stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Jokes, friends, that's jokes. The way you said it. (laughs) 
Oh my god. Um, well, this is a Korean boy <laughs> band, so I don't know if they're gonna do that or if they're just gonna fall into the trappings of existing tropes within k-pop but i do feel like we should all go support them and i want them to live their idol dreams because just because they couldn't debut at 18 doesn't mean they're not worthy in life and like aren't good dancers and singers so everyone go support she it's stylized x-e-e-d that's my tip for the week so getting into some of the current discussions that we saw happening this week i'm sure a lot of you probably saw this if you were on twitter at all but bad bunny has been making headlines because there's a video of him in the Dominican Republic and a fan is like walking next to him, but she's just like holding up her phone pointed like with the selfie cam on, like walking next to him, like obviously trying to get a video of like him in the video with her. And he literally just snatches the phone and throws it like away. Like you can't even see where it goes. They're in like a park or something. Like it's wild. Um, And it sparked a lot of outrage. And Bad Bunny came to Twitter to defend his actions. And in a translation of his tweet, he said, the person who comes up to me to say hello, to tell me something, or just to meet me will always receive my attention and respect. Those who put a phone in my face, I will consider it for what it is, a lack of respect, and I will treat it like one. I've never been more turned on in my life. Bad Bunny? (laughs) Bad Bunny's out here setting boundaries. (laughs) Oh, my God. Because we've had this discussion on Patreon, and Jenna and I have also had this discussion just with us about just kind of, like, the boundarylessness that fans seem to be feeling lately because of tiktok and everyone wanting to make every moment a moment of content and because of that and because of that like essentially like thirst for attention is what i'm going to call it which like feels mean but that's kind of what it is of being that person to like get the viral content of the celebrity or whatever the case is any respect you have for the person that you are supposed to respect and supposed to be a fan of seems to have completely gone out the window yeah and it's so frustrating because Growing up, like, I was always like, no, I would rather have a conversation with somebody that I look up to than, like, leave having just gotten a photo with them. Like, if yeah, they I agree. would I agree. spend three minutes, like, even just talking to me, I would rather have those three minutes of, like, yeah. a conversation that feels like they know that I really appreciate what they're doing than, like, leaving and having a photo. Because, like, let's be real, how often am I going to go back and look at that photo? Probably not that often. How often am I going to go back and like reread that journal entry where I'm like convinced myself that we had a moment a thousand times? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. The crazy thing is like you mentioned this like viral content thing is it's true. It's like even at concerts, we didn't use like we talked about this very recently where like even if you were the front row at a concert in 2014 and you took the sickest ass video of Maddie Healy. You probably didn't really post it anywhere. If you did, like, maybe Tumblr. If you did, like, maybe on your Instagram, but that was just, like, personal friends. But Mm. now, because of TikTok, if you're front row and you get a cool video of the artist, like, it's going to blow up. And it just feels like there's this extra layer of, like... I'm not it it feels like it's more than just I'm not here to be front row. It's like I'm here to be front row to get content that is later going to like blow up. And that is really weird and bizarre. Yeah, I hate being at concerts. And I think that this is also a lot to do with like being a concert photographer. And Jenna, I wonder if you can relate to this, but I can never, ever remember the first three songs of a show because I'm shooting. Like I'm so focused on taking photos and doing all of this that like the show will be over and my friends and I will be talking about the show and I'll be like, I can't believe they didn't play this song. And my friends are like, what are you talking about? They played it during the first three. And I'm like, oh, I was 
too busy taking photos and making sure that I was doing my job right to remember that. And so now, because I have like that mindset of knowing that that happens, when I go to shows, I'll take maybe like one 15 second video to post on my Instagram just to be like, look, I'm being a person. Yeah. And like one photo to like look back on. But I'd rather go home and like literally just journal about it than have all these photos that like I might never look back on. Because also with like phones, it's like, where is that going to be in like 20 years? If I take concert videos, I literally never watch them back. It depends. Or if I if I take one, I try yeah. to get it of like my favorite song or like the favorite chorus or like where I can tell the crowd is going really crazy. Because like I did see Spacey Jane in November and I have like two concert videos. I took like four, but two of them where I was like, oh, my God, like this is I'm so glad I got this because like the crowd was like really excited. and It was just like, <laughs> a cute moment. Other than that, I literally never I literally never watch them back. So I also saw this tweet by Laura Croft Barbie, a.k.a. J- Joni, who is a writer and co-host of Eating for Free, which is a pop culture podcast. Joni tweeted, it is very interesting that every time a celebrity asserts their physical boundaries like Bad Bunny, the disproportionate rage of the Internet against the response essentially boils down to I should be allowed to do whatever I want because I'm a fan. And then they go on to say. What's interesting about the Bad Bunny stuff is that it's mixed up also in a huge title shift on the internet that more and more promotes a culture where we all film each other and total strangers all the time with no boundaries. Mm. You have this constant battle to draw a line in the Mm. sand about physical boundaries, what celebrities owe the public, and the rapid indoctrination of young people into the TikTok camera phone panopticon and the legacy of paparazzi all swirling about in the worst possible way. I thought that Joni brought up a lot of really great points one of them being that essentially this chronic onlineness and this chronic need to capture everything and the like strive to like if I if I get like a cool video with Bad Bunny like not only is it clout for me but like it could go viral on TikTok type of thing this is new age paparazzi this is new age paparazzi you can't convince me otherwise yeah. it feels very like surveillance statey yeah. Very 1984, very George or very Orwellian, which is like jarring in a lot of ways because I think that, especially in this era of like the fear of cancel culture and all of this stuff, are we ever going to like actually experience the real version of a celebrity ever again when they know that camera phones are constantly around and that everybody's trying to capture a moment for content? Like, is Maddie Healy going to be the only person saying things that he's actually thinking? <laughs> like, is that the world we're heading to? True. Well, then you do have the TikTok celebrity who will say anything all the time. Yeah, but that's that's different, though, because those are like specifically. I feel like there's also just like a very clear line in the sand being drawn between Internet celebrity and like other form of celebrity, yeah, yeah, if that yeah. makes sense, because I no, feel I like. Agree these internet people like I don't and I don't even really know how to explain it but like their their whole existence is for content whereas people like Bad Bunny are like I'm an artist I'm a musician I'm a creative that is like being famous is second to making the music yeah it's like yeah it's essentially an unfortunate side effect of being able to do what he loves and is good at for a living and i feel like a lot of musicians kind of feel that way compared to like people who mainly act and are famous for that but i think it is really interesting to see just like that idea because like you'll see videos of like these fans with like their phones in people's faces all the time and honestly like i'm shocked somebody hasn't done that before 
Well, they have. Steve Lacey did this at his concert a few months back, and it was also big news. Uh, there was, like, yeah. a fan. I, I don't know if the fan was just in the front row being annoying or if they threw their phone on stage, but he literally, like, threw their phone and, like, broke it and was like, fuck this. Oh, I think he. I think they threw it on stage. I mean, I went with one of my friends and saw this YouTube TikTok girl who does pop music, and she's actually quite good. Her name's Chloe Moriando, and... Like, there was this kid in the front row who just, like, had his phone. He, like, was clearly trying to get her attention, like, with the phone. It wasn't just him trying to film content or whatever. He was, like, his arm was outstretched towards the stage to the point where she could not ignore it and had to, like, take his phone to, like, record something of herself on the stage. And then once she grabbed his phone... The rest of the kids are like, oh, she's taking stuff from the crowd. Somebody tried to hand a vinyl up to the stage with a marker to, like, get her to sign it. And she had to be like, guys, like, I understand that you want this stuff. But, like, all I'm going to meet you at, like, the merch booth later. Like, we right now is about the music. Jesus Christ. And it's like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Yeah, that's not the first time I've heard a story like that of people being like this is an autograph session like what 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 is the oh guys there's been a lot of discourse (laughs) on the internet going around about concert etiquette and i think this kind of folds into expecting things from celebrities expecting that people owe you things and we did read an article in dazed by serena smith where she's essentially detailing this exact problem there's a serious problem with live music audiences right now since we've come out of lockdown fans have become increasingly unhinged annoying and disrespectful and she does in her an article mentioned that a lot of people going to concerts right now are first-time concert goers who have never experienced a concert in their life which makes sense because if you think about it like we've been in a yeah. pandemic for like two years so people who were teenagers who never got to go to concerts are now 18 and 20 going to concerts for the first time not knowing things but yeah. I, I i just don't know it's just like this awful mix of I've... chronic onlineness, like expecting things like not being able to have gone mm-hmm. to concerts previously that is just making people insufferable but i just feel like that's such like giving people a cop out and like an excuse because it's like everybody's gone to a first concert everybody's had to figure out what's going on and it's like so are these people just going to like primarily other chronically online people concerts where like nobody there is showing how you're supposed to act but the thing is like for an artist whose demographic is teenagers they're all Gen Z. They've all lived their life online. They all didn't yeah. go to concerts because of the pandemic. So unless they're going to concerts where it's a mixed audience yeah, yeah, yeah. with older people, like the 1975 shows haven't been that insufferable because a lot of us are adults. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess my main shocking thing was the Louis Tomlinson crowd, like not having any energy whatsoever because I was like expecting it to be more of a mixed age group than I think it was. So it's just interesting to like see that happen. But that because that there was that like one the 1975 show. I can't remember what city it was in in America where Maddie's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? People? It was like Seattle or something. It was in I think like, it was no. in Washington. People I saw people talking about how awful the crowd was. But I mean, like in the Bad Bunny sort of example of like people getting angry as well. I mean, like we saw a couple instances during love on tour with Harry Styles where like somebody threw a chicken nugget at them and he like did his like cheeky thing, but he like still told them off. And then that other time when like a girl literally basically threw a bucket of fucking water on him and he didn't play medicine when he was going to. Well, Maddie called people out. He, he literally in the middle of the song was like, stop fucking throwing shit at me. 
like he said that on stage and more people need to yeah so like what where's the disrespect there they're like and in this day's article they talked about this like crossing of boundary like between crowd and like performer where it's like historically the stage is like a respected space where it's like literally elevated literally like you're going to see a performer and the idea the concept of throwing something on stage is like crossing this boundary between fan and artist but it's exactly that it's crossing a boundary that shouldn't be crossed yeah it's gonna be interesting seeing what direction the shift moves going forward now that more concerts are happening and people are discussing concert etiquette more and that there's a lot more tiktoks of like people in our generation kind of being like hey guys maybe let's not do this so i wonder if like people are gonna listen or if people are going to be like well i need to fucking make my content so fuck you and fuck your fun at your concerts i mean also with people like bad bunny starting to call stuff out and because, I mean, like, it, it seems, like, very outrageous to, like, throw someone's phone that it's, like, disrespectful. But he was also, like, you're treating me with disrespect. So that's how I'm going to treat you. Calling it out like it should but be, I honestly. I also wonder if, like, this is, a, this is the thing that, like, I still cannot wrap my head around. Is it's, like, do fellow fans respect other fans, like, more, like, seasoned, quote-unquote, fans than they do the artists that they look up to or, like anyway because i feel like anytime an artist stands up for themselves they're like well we're paying your bills like well you wouldn't be here you wouldn't be doing this without us so that's the thing that i'm interested in if people are going to start actually respecting these artists again or if they're going to be like well you actually signed up for this which they did not ever fucking sign up yeah for. yeah only time will tell folks this episode is brought to you by shopify Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another thing that was taking over the internet this week and also in weeks past has been SZA. And this is a supremacy that's going on right now. As of time of recording, SZA has been number one on Billboard 200 for three weeks straight. This is the first time an R&B album by a woman has done this since Beyonce's self-titled in 2013. That was 10 years ago now. SZA joins Taylor Swift as the only female artist in history to simultaneously chart at least 20 songs on the Hot 100. And actually, the correct number is SZA's charting 23, which is all of the songs on her album. That is literally insane. Wow. This is like Adele numbers. I'm sure like Adele just isn't on this list because she didn't have 20 songs, otherwise she would be because these are like insane numbers. Yeah. And all of this happens five years after SZA's debut album. Control came out 
in 2017 and it peaked number three on the Billboard chart. SZA has not put out an album in five years. She has had a, a few singles here and there. She has had some features. Obviously, she was on Kiss okay. Me More with Doja Cat, which I'm pretty sure won a Grammy. I think they won Best Pop uh, Duo Collaboration or Pop Duo, Pop Group or Duo. Yeah, they did. Uh, they did. Yeah. And SZA is also like besties with Lizzo. She was like featured in Lizzo's like dance audition show. So SZA has been around in the pop culture zeitgeist, just has not put out an album. And the fact that her second album, her second album has done this massively popular is insane. It's just so interesting because I was not really aware of her until she did that song with Doja Cat and like she was on TikTok and I was like, oh, she seems really cool and interesting. And then I listened to this new album that came out and I was like, this is really fucking good. But I think just in context to like the name three songs lore <laughs> and our episode stuff. A year ago, we did an episode about women in R&B with Maya Abrams. And it was a really interesting episode about how all these women had all the trappings of being as if not more successful than the white pop girlies. And seeing SZA put out a true R&B album and it be so widely respected and celebrated that it's number one for this long and people of so many different backgrounds are getting into R&B and like giving an R&B girly her moment to be like a prime pop girly. I feel like it seems like a a positive step forward in the music conversation and like the way in which women are going to be allowed to make music going forward, because this proves that like this can be done successfully yeah. and should be acknowledged. Yeah. Yeah. It proves that there's a, a need and a want for this type of music. And her album is definitely very R and B, mm -hmm. but she does bring in pop elements. She does have a few songs that are a little more rock edgy, yeah. Um, and it's been, it's, and honestly, when I was listening, like there are a few songs that are giving me country vibes as far as like the storytelling and the more like stripped back guitar feeling, but overall it's like, it's a really gorgeous album. Mm -hmm. I think it's just so interesting to me that she was be able to rock it to this level with this album. And I think there are multiple factors, including the five year gap between music, the TikTok of it all of being able to go viral. I mean, like her song that she did on SNL that was like a joke skit that was like, I need a big boy is like literally <laughs> viral all over TikTok. I saw somebody being like, what do you mean this song isn't on the record? <laughs> like, and she's had uh, other songs, Kill Bill especially, <laughs> is very popular right now. So there's the TikTok of it all pushing it. And I think this is kind of similar to what happened with Olivia Rodrigo, where there weren't a lot of other really heavy releases happening at the time. I think releasing it in December was yeah. like really smart on her team. Which is also funny because I like read an interview she did with Rolling Stone and she was like, we can just push it. Like, we, it doesn't need to come out. Like, we don't need to do this. And her team was like, no, we're doing it. <laughs> um, but I did find an article in Billboard titled Five Burning Questions says it holds number one for the third week with SOS album. And they talked to five different journalists. They asked each journalist five questions so you could see their answers. Um, and one that I thought that stood out was Jason Lipschutz, who says, if SZA was a cult R&B figure, a major debut that snaps a prolonged absence and then plummets down the Billboard 200 chart would make sense. So as if if she was only a cult figure, 
she wouldn't have had three weeks on number one. But he says the continued mm. performance of SZA's first album in five years confirms that she's transcended that status of a cult figure. She has far more fans than just diehards and is now a straight up superstar. SZA's control follow up was always going to be a major moment, but the endurance of SOS atop the Billboard 200 with six figure equivalent album units total each week represents a groundbreaking moment for her mainstream profile. So essentially, this album has proved that she has longevity power. She's not just a flash in the pan. She's not just a cult Mm -hmm. R&B figure. She is going to be solidified as a superstar from here on out. Yeah. And that is just super exciting and positive for, like I said, like the space of where music can go going forward. And I think it just shows like, people are so much more open to discovering and listening to new music that they might have been quote unquote afraid of or been like, Oh, that's not for me. Like, I don't know about this. And I think in with talking about the whole concert etiquette thing, we're like, Oh, like here's like a negative side to the whole TikTokification of the world. But I think in another way with the SZA album, like the TikTokification and like the access to new music and viral songs and all that sort of stuff is really kind of helping people realize that like you shouldn't be so bogged down by the genres that you think you're supposed to listen yeah. to. And people are finding and discovering new music and realizing like, oh shit, like I never realized that R&B could sound like this. I never realized whatever the case may be, because like you said, it's like, listening to sis's record like you have features from people like phoebe bridgers on there and you're just like would never expect yeah, that would never in a million like years a, think this would go together surprise yeah it was <laughs> yeah and like while you're listening to it you're like oh like this truly is for everyone and i think in some ways like with the album being 23 songs and like every song being kind of different, but like still clearly being a SZA song and her taking all of her inspiration and, and things that she's into and making it into like her kind of own version of r and I think that that makes it really accessible for everyone Yeah, in a, in a way that like, obviously she didn't go into this being like, I want my album to be accessible to everyone. But I think that also just shows like how rounded people are who are interested in music and when you don't let genres rule what you're doing there's so much opportunity for like what music can be yeah 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 i think like SZA in this era is a great example of not letting people put her in a box and she does talk about this on the Mm -hmm. rolling stone interview which was actually for their podcast but there was a written version of the interview as well and she talks about when she first came out it was like janae aiko tinashe twigs Everyone was fair-skinned and skinny, and then I came out and I just wasn't any of those things. I felt like people would approach the CEO of my label often saying, oh, well, you should make her over. And I didn't see that there was anything wrong with, you know, being 200 pounds, baggy clothes, and having all these different emotions and displays of creativity. I just never thought that anyone would be judging that. But they were, and it was strange, and I kind of didn't realize that until maybe I lost weight, and then everyone was behaving so differently and strange. My music didn't really change. I don't think it had to do with my weight, but something happened where it was like, oh, maybe we should, like, try this in a more commercially acceptable idea. And then she says, even now, I'm not sure where I fit in in the grand scheme of things. I think people want to see me, like, with my ass out, being super hyper-feminine, and then they're like, oh, we know what this is, and we like this. But when I revert to hockey jersey SZA, or I revert to baggy clothes on SNL SZA, I'm not really sure. I don't know. I prefer that people don't know what to make of me anyway, because I just want to be myself without any expectations. And the best way to do that is to keep shaping 
shape-shifting aggressively and often sonically and otherwise. So she's very much like, fuck you, you're not going to put me in a box, I'm going to be me. (laughs) I'm obsessed with her. This is incredible. I just love how she was like, I didn't understand why this would be a problem, so why should I change? And I feel like (laughs) that needs to be the mindset of of, of, of every girl going into the music industry. And I know that's never going to happen, but I just mean like that is such that's so iconic of her just to be like yeah who the fuck cares like my music is good yeah 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 (laughs) so truly insane truly insane what she's accomplished with this i think we're all excited to see what happens next she has an arena tour that like sold out almost immediately and i think omar apollo is opening on it so all around's really great all around's really excited to see what happens for sizza but i did see also a tweet from another like pop culture entertainment news writer jelani and her username is at her name is jay And she says it's interesting what constitutes black female singers as being a superstar now. You don't have to be a dancer, occasionally act, or fake a perfect persona anymore. I think Gen Z listeners are looking for R&B girlies to just be moody and relatable. More so, I think that people are looking for vulnerability and rawness, less of the total package in their singers, like SZA and Summer Walker, who've had huge sale debuts in recent memory. So again, just going back to the fact that R&B history, Black women in music history, Beyonce was the full package. Beyonce was always the full package, but that's at a time where dancing and singing and being in a girl group was popular. And I think now we're allowing more artists to come to the spotlight who are just being themselves. It's nice that it feels like we're moving in a direction that checking all these boxes is the only way that you're going to find success. And I feel like that is going to be a really positive thing going forward for like young people coming up in music and wanting to get into it of like less fear that if they're not like a certain size or if they're not a triple threat, if they're not certain things that like, oh, that means that there's absolutely no chance. And I think that that's a really exciting thing to look forward to in the music industry and just in pop culture in general. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so obviously, though, every positive for the female gender, there's going to be 20 negatives following back somewhere on the Internet where men (laughs) are ruining everything for us because, of course, they are. And we are in the era of Andrew Tate and Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson and all of these men on the Internet spouting misogyny, spouting misogynistic rhetoric and Kids and teenagers have unfettered access to the internet. Their parents aren't paying attention. And we are having a lot of young kids in this like supposedly more woke, more paying attention generation falling down the incel right wing pipeline where they're becoming complete misogynists, have absolutely no respect for women. And it's been like a really kind of jarringly scary week online, specifically because Andrew Tate was finally arrested for the crime of sex trafficking. Can I just pop in to say that if you guys weren't paying attention, the reason he got arrested is because he tried to attack Greta Thunberg on the internet, which like, what did she do wrong? Like she didn't do anything. She didn't do anything. Okay. Like this is the thing. He's just attacking people because attacking women because he can, but he tweeted like, I have 20 cars. Like, what are you going to do to stop me? Like Greta Thunberg, like environmental activist. And she was like, thank you for showing me this. You can email me at I have a small dick.com or something like that. It was like really funny. And then he tweeted back again. (laughs) 
I don't even remember what he said, but uh, he posted a photo of himself eating pizza and the pizza box was a Romanian pizza company. And so the the government had been trying to get him, actually, and they weren't sure. He's a British citizen. They weren't sure if he was still in Romania or not. But because he tweeted this with the Romanian pizza box, it gave away his location and the government or like the... Yeah, I guess the government. They literally got him. They literally got him because he was trying to own Greta Thunberg on the internet. Like, this is your own fault. This man is so stupid. The thing that is so wild and crazy in the wake of his arrest as well was there were all these dudes who follow him and are supporters of him who are being like, he predicted his arrest. Like, oh, like the Matrix is is breaking and like all this stuff and then like people who are aware of things are like he's not fucking like Nosferatu like he can't predict the future he knew he was going to get arrested because he literally did something illegal but all these guys are like no this is the red pill the matrix and we're like the matrix was literally created by two transgender sisters like shut the fuck up oh my god yeah so jokes aside he is a very vile figure in today's pop culture I do this this thought crossed my mind because I saw this person on tiktok talking about how she was meeting her friend's boyfriend for the first time and he like made a comment that was basically like oh andrew tate's not so bad like one of those type of comments and then she kind of went off on this rant like talking to the the tiktok audience about like all these things he's done and just like telling her friend like you can't be dating this person but her point was that Mm -hmm. men are listening to this men are listening to him right people who don't care who are like he's a bad person are not listening to what he's saying but i think that's almost to our detriment because if you're not like if you don't if you're not listening or you're not like reading a reporter who's reporting on what he's saying you just don't know like how bad it actually is and so to a certain degree like we as people who are like fighting against this also have to be aware of like the types of things he's saying because it's so vile that like if we just pretend like he doesn't exist he's gonna keep like recruiting people it's terrifying and it's been interesting seeing women i respect on twitter respond to this vitriol and everything that's going on because this is like a much bigger problem than just andrew tate and like him making his videos and it's because the people watching his videos believe him and are kind of following in his footsteps and we're seeing these instances of teachers on tiktok coming and being like oh yeah my male students are not listening to me they're talking back to me they're just like what does a woman know like what am i supposed to learn from you you're just a woman and people again just to bring back the whole amber heard johnny depp situation just people believing the worst in women because it's easier for some reason and people not realizing that this rhetoric is being spread around and like the villainization of these women is being spread around primarily by men like Andrew Tate but because they like hear it from like a regurgitation of a regurgitation of a regurgitation they're just like oh whoever I saw say this I like so therefore I believe them and it's like okay but they originally got that thought from somebody like Andrew Tate or like Joe Rogan or whoever is like a nonsense misogynistic man. Yeah, there's been a lot of conversations like about the alt-right is more welcoming to young men and is indoctrinating them, blah, blah, blah. The left is doing nothing. Like these are, these are the conversations we've been seeing in the wake of this. And in particular, I found a few tweets that are really relevant. I saw this one tweet by Twitter user Zuko's Mama that says, men don't fall down the alt-right slash MRA pipeline because the left isn't doing enough good outreach. They choose 
choose to subscribe to fascist ideology because they have an investment in maintaining their position in the social hierarchy and the liberation of other groups threatens that. This person goes on to say, men don't want to lose power they gain, real or imagined, from patriarchal structures. As socialists, we know that men will benefit in other ways from liberation movements, but many simply don't want to give up the power they have or believe they have under the patriarchy. Men in the comments talking about 14-year-olds on Mm -hmm. YouTube and these 14-year-olds become what? Adults. Adults who are capable and responsible for reevaluating their beliefs. It honestly is like a cop-out to blame things on YouTube or say like, oh, the left isn't doing enough, blah, blah, because misogyny Misogyny exists everywhere, and I feel like if you've listened to our podcast before, you're aware that every single sector of everything, there is misogyny, and everybody has misogyny ingrained in them, and it's something that you have to unlearn every single day, just like you have to unlearn racism, you have to unlearn homophobia, because America and most countries have instilled all of these things in us, and it can be a hard pill to swallow, in a lot of ways, but it's like, no matter what the flavor of misogyny is that these boys are getting, if they wind up watching an Andrew Tate video and they agree with it, it's not necessarily like a left or right wing situation. It's just that they're misogynistic and they hear somebody agreeing with some dumb thought that they had once. And they're like, oh shit, this man with so many followers and so much money and all of his cars agrees with me. He must be right. And then we have this like spiral and it's terrifying. I did see another tweet from Tara Mooney, who's actually like a YouTuber. She does video essays. She does a lot of like advocacy and like feminist conversations as well. And so she says like, I'm going to weigh in on the discourse to say that young boys get seduced by the alt-right because the left gives bad advice or aren't compassionate enough is so reductive. To say alt-right figures show more compassion to young men than leftists is a take. Have you not seen videos with PUA telling young men that they're pathetic and useless or incel forums telling them that they're unlovable? Why are you tying yourself in knots to avoid major issues of patriarchy? Some young men wouldn't even listen to women if they were compassionate towards them because they're going to right-wing creators to confirm their bias anyway. I acknowledge that there's a fraction of the left that has oversimplified Mm -hmm. gender discourse. I do find it strange to aim for gender role abolition while claiming that men are inherently violent or destructive, but this is a minority of people, come on. Like when people say, be nice to incels, they're just lonely. And then she says, um, a beauty standards are even more severe for women, but ugly women aren't a public safety issue. The left can only do so much and men are trash discourse is tired, annoying and unproductive. However, to act like that's the cause or even a main cause of young male radicalization is just false IMO. That being said, I do wonder if we need a model of positive masculinity to accompany discourse around toxic masculinity. Would giving men something positive to aspire to help avoid some of this, or would it just add more pressure to fit into a gender mold? I don't know. For those who disagree, and I have a genuine question. What do you want leftists to do? If you believe they're responsible, what action should they take to prevent slash stop this kind of radicalization? And I think this is a conversation that goes to back to like our end of year episode of it's like, The left isn't very organized as far as like, what is a leftist man supposed to be like? What is a feminist man supposed to be like? There's not really good like examples of this, but a lot of leftist ideology tends to be so cutthroat of like, if you're not doing it the right way, you're not saying the right things, like you're not helping the conversation. But it's like, that's not how people learn. That's not how any of us learn. Like, me and Sarah are trying to be good feminists. We might mess up sometimes. Hopefully we figure it out and check ourselves. That's not to say we're 100% perfect. And Mm -hmm. I think 
I think there's a big pressure there. And and I do agree with a sentiment that like there needs to be a sense of like positive masculinity because all we talk about is toxic masculinity. All we talk about is men are trash, but it's like, that's not helpful. That's not helping anyone learn, but it's like, how do they learn? Mm-hmm. Where do they learn? Who is teaching them? Like these are like systemic questions that can't necessarily be solved by one individual, but it's like, as a society, we haven't even bothered tackling these questions. And I think also the huge issue is, is that when women try and counteract this alt-right Andrew Tateism and all these other garbage men on the internet, their audience already does not respect and do not view women as people enough to even listen to us. Yeah. So when we have women out online being like, okay, but men who are into like quote unquote nerdy things are attractive. Like men who have hobbies are attractive. Like men who do this are attractive. Like we're not all out here looking for like these Jack Jim bros who like these guys online are like, no girls want a guy who like looks like he ate a set of weights for dinner and can throw them around or whatever it's like okay maybe some girls but not all girls and they're making being like a woman very black and white very like no this is what they're like and whatever and so if enough of these young boys because that's the thing is is like they get their claws in on them when they're so young that if like one girl that they had a crush on did not reciprocate that crush they're like well that's what all girls are gonna be like all girls are gonna be as mean as jessica was in fourth grade math when i told her i had a crush on her yeah or whatever the case is and it's like that's literally not true and no matter how many women are out here yelling about how this is bullshit this is crazy like why are you being like this like we're not this shallow we're not this mean we're not this terrible these men are like well andrew tate said and it's like maybe have a thought for yourself for once yeah but also it's like there should be more i think push for like the positive masculinity and like these things where it's like the positive reinforcement of men acknowledging like their mental health and all that stuff and it's like yeah we've tried to have like that movember thing where it's like grow a mustache for mental health or whatever they do oh i thought it was for testicular cancer therapy for men and (laughs) oh maybe that's right (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i I actually don't know so november is the actual (laughs) annual event of growing mustaches during the month of november to raise awareness of mental okay yeah no no yeah it says men's oh men's health issues such as prostate cancer testicular cancer and men's suicide so we were both right. Yes. We were both right. That's a very big lump of men uh, of men's issues. It is. Testicular <laughs> cancer know, or like, suicide. It's anti-suicide. You're like, it's not. This is why men need more help because it's like. Oh, God. All of their issues have to be lumped into one month. <laughs> Literally, though. Like. That's so crazy that we were both right and those two things have absolutely nothing to do with each other yeah. and should both be focused on. Yeah. And I think that that was like the interesting thing also in that episode that we did when we were together about like male objectification in Hollywood and how that's like never acknowledged ever because also men like Andrew Tate are like we should like we want to be objectified like that. We want like our bodies to be so godlike that like they can't I don't know. I've never listened to Andrew Tate. I'm just assuming that he says this shit. This this is kind of like, this is kind of like my point is like, 
in theory, we know he's bad. In like we may know snippets of like what he's done and like what he said and stuff, but unless like we spend time actively like looking into this or like reading reading reporters who have reported on this. You know what I'm saying? It's like we don't know the depths of how actually bad this is. Yeah. I mean, because like all of my information about Andrew Tate is like been told to me by other people and mainly through like Twitter threads or through TikTok videos of people explaining stuff that's happening because I'm like, I don't I can't listen to this man and his weird cadence that he speaks in. And I don't know if that's like a I mean, I like it's obviously it can be a bit of a disservice to like (laughs) the discussion, but it's also like I need to take care of my mental health for me as well. I think this is I mean, Um, this is really valid. It can be a bit complicated. This is really valid because I think this is a really good example of it's like us being on this journey of it's like, you know, this is bad. Like, you know, this is going on, but you don't necessarily have the time or like the mental capacity to like ingest whatever this is. I think the thing here is being critical media consumers of what we always go back to is like finding a trusted journalist. You know that they're doing proper research. You know that they're a smart person and reading their writing. Like if you don't want to go to the source directly, which I think is fair. Like, I don't think we should all be following Andrew Tate on Instagram because that would be disgusting but like that's probably what Maddie like why Maddie Healy follows some questionable people because he wants to know like what they're up to yeah well I mean like that's like most of my journalist friends all have to follow a lot of these people to keep up to date with things and it's a necessary evil and I think that the way in which we discuss a lot of these topics, we kind of have the gift of just being able to like go to Michael Hobbs's Twitter and seeing what he's saying and not having to like ingest it from the garbage person themselves because we're commentating rather than reporting. I mean, I completely agree with what you're saying, Jenna, of like, it's it's important to know what's going on but also it's important to like check in with yourself like I was saying and it's like sometimes I feel a little bit like oh am I not doing enough because I'm not watching an Andrew Tate podcast episode to know exactly what he said but I think sometimes especially like I said like in the kind of gift that we have and like commentating on stuff rather than reporting specifically is that like it's enough to read it from a trusted news source and like know but like multiple it's like i'm not going like it wouldn't be just going to one person it's like how we're reading from multiple twitter threads here like reading from multiple articles like we do in our episodes it's like it's important to keep up with what's happening but also like to keep inner peace to some regard (laughs) while doing so but that's the whole point of like the media literacy thing about it is it's like if you're not going to go directly to the source you need to know like which sidebar sources are the acceptable ones to be going to and who's going to be like actually reporting on what's going on and not just doing op-ed journalism yeah yeah i agree also just as a shout out if you guys are interested in following more journalists on twitter you can definitely hit us up directly and we can suggest some but a journalist that we've been following recently that we really like is kat tenenbarge and that's also her username. She's a tech and culture reporter for NBC News, but she does a lot of content related to abuse and sexual violence. She covered like Amber Heard. She covered Megan The Stallion and like the misogynoir that was going around, like the Tory Lanez case. She tweets a lot about this like alt-right and left stuff. So that's just a little shout out to a great journalist. I mean, I think that's important. And as you guys know, if there's anything that we talked about today that you're interested in, like those will always be in show notes. So that way you can find all these cool people on like Twitter and YouTube and wherever they post their content. So that way you can 
digest more about all of this stuff because it's so important to keep up to date with these things. And I think that that's why we wanted to take Name Three Songs in this direction in the new year because we've talked so much about how stuff from the past has affected pop culture and day-to-day life now. And there's so much crazy shit that's been happening day-to-day. And it's like, okay, well, what is the new stuff that's going on in pop culture and how is that going to affect things going forward? And it's going I'm really excited for like this year to look into all of these things that are happening now and kind of have our own hypotheses instead of like proving <laughs> proving other people's for once. Yeah. And I mean, obviously this like alt-right stuff isn't directly like music pop culture but it does affect it does affect all these conversations that has implications across pop culture across music industry so yeah um we felt like it was really important to discuss and obviously this is like a very 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 ongoing conversation so yes thanks for hanging thanks for learning with us and as always we want to continue learning with you guys yeah so we hope you're enjoying this. We're excited to see what comes. And if you have any thoughts or feelings about anything that we discussed today or would like to go into more detail on anything, you know, Jenna and I are always ready and willing to chat with y'all about everything. So you can find us on social media. We are at name three songs on all platforms. Or if you'd like to discuss things with us more personally, I'm at Sarah underscore Fagan on all socials and Jenna is at Jenna underscore million. So thanks for joining us this week on name three songs. Until next time. Never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band. And you're never too cool to listen to SZA. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review. They really help. If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit namefreesongs.com. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.